Take your Bibles this morning, if you would, and turn with me to 1 Chronicles, 1 Chronicles chapter number 21, and I'll let you remain seated this morning. As we look at this chapter this morning, we're going to look at the entire chapter as uh, we get into the Word of God this morning. If you're visiting with us today, uh, there's an outline that's in the bulletin this morning. You can follow along that way. And I've entitled today's message as we uh, continue this series on Live It Out and uh, the series before this was more of a series on salvation and what comes along with being saved. And from that, we've moved on to this particular series on Sunday mornings, which deals more with what the Bible refers to as sanctification. And this is a series that is really helping us to develop the part of our life that, that only God sees. It's, it's what's on the inside of us. Because once we're saved, then of course we're a new creature in Christ. And the Bible says, old things are passed away, and behold what? All things are become new. Now, I have found in my life that there's many times, and we can see it in the Bible, even in the book of Romans chapter number 7, the Apostle Paul clearly under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit writes about the battle between the flesh and the spirit. And as long as we're in this flesh, we're going to struggle from time to time because as long as we're in this flesh, there's going to be times in our lives where we sin. Anybody in here this morning that's sinless? Because if you are, I want to meet you. Uh, the, the reality is we're all sinners. Uh, even after we get saved and when we do sin, if we are saved, it is at that moment that the Holy Spirit of God, as we study the Word of God, we find out that God is faithful by His Spirit to convict us. And the Holy Spirit urges us, watch this, to confess our sin. You see, God doesn't want sin to build up in our lives. And so the Holy Spirit is there to help us to confess, or by confessing, what happens is that that fellowship that we had with God, when sin came, that sin caused a separation when we confess that sin, we get right with God, then the fellowship is restored. Everybody with me this morning? So the message this morning is entitled, Repentance from the Heart. And we're going to take a look at repentance from the life of David from 1 Chronicles chapter 21. Because I am convinced that, number one, people don't understand the biblical concept of repentance. And secondly, when we do sin... How can we be restored back with God? How can we be right with God? See, as we think about this matter of being convicted when we do sin by the Holy Spirit, it is at that time where we have a choice to make. And that choice is, are we going to resist the Holy Spirit of God? In other words, to fight against the Holy Spirit pricking our hearts that we have sin in our lives, or are we going to respond to the Holy Spirit's conviction with a heart of repentance. And that is certainly what God wants for us. Even in our lives as sinners, we have to see that we have a need in our lives, that we're sinners, that we, ha we have need of a Savior. Because without seeing that we have need of a Savior, we cannot be saved. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all sinners according to the Word of God. But even after salvation, sin continues to be a problem in each of our lives. It will plague us if we're not careful. But if we would admit this morning, and this is the hard part about a lot of people, is admitting that they have a problem with this or admitting that they have a problem with that and then coming clean with God about whatever it is. It might be in your heart something below the surface, such as pride. Pride certainly is something that many people struggle with. We'll look at that in the, in the message this morning. I also think that many people, they, they struggle with covetousness or it may be lust or whatever it may be. There are many sins that people struggle with even after they are saved. And the scripture warns us that when we sin and the Holy Spirit begins to convict us, the scriptures warn us about not listening to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Look at a couple of verses here. Hebrews 4 and verse 7, part of that verse says this, Today, if ye will hear his voice, look at the rest of the verse, let's say it out loud, 
Harden not your See, when the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, when the Holy Spirit is dealing with you, when the Holy Spirit is convicting you of that sin, listen, make sure that you do not harden your hearts, that you tune out the Holy Spirit of God. Whatever it is that the Holy Spirit begins to deal with you about, to put his finger on, to show you that is in your life, then the Bible says don't harden your heart, respond with repentance towards God. Look at Acts 7.51. The Bible says, as Stephen testified, ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost, as your fathers did, so do ye. See, many people today, not just in the church house, they will hear God speaking to them, not audibly, but the Holy Spirit of God will begin to show them of things in their lives that ought not to be there. And instead of listening, instead of uh, repenting of that sin, they, they make their neck stiff. They, they become uncircumcised in their heart and ears. They don't want to listen. And look, oftentimes, either of Christians themselves, when they become convicted of sin, there are those that will stiffen their necks, that will not give in to the Holy Spirit's conviction. They will fight against it. But I'm so glad there are some that will soften their hearts, that will say, you know what, I'm wrong. I have sinned in the sight of God. And listen, folks, this morning, the message is about you. It's about your heart. It's about me. It's about what's in my heart. It's about repentance from the heart. And I want you to notice David's response. Because God was working, and we all know there's other things that happened in David's life prior to the passage today. We all know the story of David and his, his ordeal with Bathsheba and all that happened there and how God dealt with him. And David had, uh, in his life, he had done some things. And after months of resistance to the sin in his own life, notice what he pens in Psalm 51 and verse 1. Have mercy upon me, O God. According to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy mercy, thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Now it sounds to me like a man who understood the sin in his life. God by his spirit was working on David's heart. And instead of David pushing against that and hardening his heart, David cries out to God. He was sensitive to the sin in his life. Now listen, this came after months of resistance though. And that's the way many of us are. We resist the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you this morning that when sin comes into your life, be quick to confess that sin. Don't hold on to it. Don't harbor it. Don't give it place in your life. Because look, sin is a poison. It will kill you from the inside out. And we see from the life of David this morning, and really, First Chronicles chapter 21 deals with the closing days of David's life. David had lived a life, he had enjoyed so many things with his father, with, with God his father, after he became, of course, one of his children, after he had been given the opportunity to be the king. And David comes to the end of his life, and even though the Bible describes him as a man after God's own heart, Something happens in David's life. And David had need, even in the end of his life, he had need in his life for repentance. And I want you to see, first of all, this morning, from 1 Chronicles chapter 21, the rebellion of David. Now, even though David was, his sin maybe to him or maybe even to some, maybe the sin to him seemed small to God, it was huge. And you know, that's, that's the way we are sometimes, even in our own lives. We tend to, to paint our sins to be little bitty things. And, you know, we use phrases like this, little white lies. It's like strange sometimes what we call things. You know what we're really saying? We're saying, it's, it's not, it's nothing. You know what God calls it? Sin. He doesn't call it big sin, little sin. Sin is sin. Amen? Amen. And, and so David may have looked at this rebellion in his life as something that seemed small. 
But I want you to notice from our chapter this morning in 1 Chronicles chapter 21, in verse number 1, I want you to see a planted thought in verse number 1. Look what the Bible says. Satan stood up against, uh, against uh, Israel and provoked David to number Israel. Now look at it again. Satan. Everybody knows who Satan is, right? What's another name for Satan? Lucifer, the devil. He's got many names, right? The accuser of the brethren. That's interesting. In David's life, and remember, he was a child of God. He was a man after God's own heart. I want you to understand that people live their lives, even as Christians, and they act like the devil's some fictitious uh, guy with a, with a red suit and a pitchfork. Can I tell you, the devil is as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. The devil is alive and well. And listen, he is the prince and power of the air. And the devil would do nothing less than to cause sin in your life and to cause your relationship with God to be broken. And that's the intent of the devil. And that's what we see here in the life of David is that Satan comes along, the Bible says, and he stood up against Israel and he provoked David to number the people. Now, when we see this planted thought here in verse number one, just like all sin, it began, watch this, in the mind. How many of you understand the mind is a powerful thing, right? The thought life. A lot of us struggle because of the thoughts. Why do you think the internet is so popular? Why do you think billboards and just anything that the devil can put out there as an advertisement for sin? And we see it, it goes in through the eye gate, it goes into our minds, and from the mind it begins to corrupt the heart. And this is what happens, Satan plants this thought, it begins in the mind of David. The thought was suggested to David, listen to this, by Satan himself. Look at the verse again. Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number Israel. Now when you look at the scriptures, even before 1 Chronicles chapter 21, here's what you'll find, is that David knew, listen to me, he knew that God did not want him to number the people. David knew that. Remember what the Bible says? To him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. So David knew this was wrong, but yet the thought was planted there. And what David does by numbering the people was an act of pridefully putting his trust in his kingdom instead of in God. David was trusting in the number of soldiers that he had, the, the horses and the chariots, rather than having his confidence in God. Look, you, you might not be the king. You might not have a kingdom. You might not have horses and soldiers. But do you have stocks? Do you have money in the bank? Do you have a 401k? I think many of us have lived long enough now to see the stock market crash. To see the world economically be turned upside down on a dime. And yet, many times, we tend to look at what we have and what we don't have, and that's where our confidence is. Isn't it interesting that they chose to put on our currency in God we trust? Interesting place to put those words. But many people are trusting in the, the riches of this world, the mammon, the Bible says, instead of having confidence in God. And David, in pride, in his old age, decides, you know what, I'm going to number the people. Where did that thought come from? Satan himself. Satan put that thought there. And so the Bible says here in verse number one, and look at these two words, Satan did two things. Notice in verse one, he stood up against, and then look at the other word, he provoked. How many of you hate the devil like me? You know, I love that song the kids sing, if the devil can sit on attack, I'd say let him sit on attack and hold a stick of dynamite. Let, let him do whatever. But the Bible says here that he stood up against, that means that Satan rose up against, hey, that's been Satan's plan from all along, to rise up against God. If you read the Old Testament, here's what you find is Satan on and on and on says, I will be like the Most High. That's been his plan all along, 
to be numero uno, but we all know that's never going to happen because he was created. He is not the God of all this world. And as we see the Bible here, he rose up against, and the word provoke means that he incited, he began to allure, to, uh, to instigate, he began to entice David. Now, some of you guys in here, I certainly have never claimed to be a big fisherman. You know, I went on a fishing expedition with our guys. I caught nothing, but I lost some things. If you want to know the rest of that story, you can ask the guys that were on the boat. But I'll tell you this, if you go fishing, what do you do? You put some kind of bait on a hook to do what? To lure the fish. Those poor fishies. They never see it coming. That's exactly what the devil does. The devil, when it came to David, we're talking about King David. We're talking about a man after God's own heart. Sometimes we think, oh, I'm, I, I, I've been a Christian all my life. You know what you're saying? I'm too big. Satan can never get to me. I'm a better Christian than that. You know what you're saying? You're a better Christian than David. You're saying you're a better Christian than anybody that you know. It sounds to me like you're full of pride. Because Satan rose up, he stood up against, he provoked Satan's tactics. Can I tell you, after all these years, from David till today, Satan's tactics have not changed. Everything that he did back then to stand up against, to provoke, he's still doing the same thing. His plan is to destroy us, and it always begins, here it is, in our thoughts. Right now, he's trying to get some of you to not think about the Word of God right now. You're thinking about that pot roast. You're thinking about where we're going to go to eat when the service is over. You're thinking about all you got going on this week. Listen, I know what I'm talking about because right now while I'm preaching, I'm thinking about things too. I'm thinking, where, where's my wife going to take me for lunch? She's going to pay the bill. I'm thinking about all these things. But look what the Bible says, and this, this is a verse that has really got me over the years. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. Look at the Bible instructs us. Casting down what? Imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. And bringing into captivity, how many thoughts? Every thought to the obedience of who? Christ. Of Christ. Hey, how many of you think that's good instruction? When you start to have a thought, you know what many of us need to do? We need to memorize scripture. Remember what Jesus did when he was in the wilderness and he was being tempted of the devil? What did Jesus do? Anybody remember? What did he do three times? He quoted scripture. And remember what the devil did? He said, I'm not winning here. Nothing's happening. I'm going to go find somebody that's weaker that doesn't know God's word. And the Bible says the devil left him. And God came and ministered unto him. You see, when you think about this, the devil's tactics. There was a thought that was planted in David's mind by Satan himself. And these planted thoughts, listen, Satan places temptations in front of us. And by the way, he knows what is appealing to you. He knows what he can put in front of you that will interest you. We all have things we like and don't like. But I can tell you this, whatever it is that you like in your life that even your spouse may not like, the devil knows what you like and he knows what to stick in front of you because he knows you like it. He knows that it will draw your attention away it will appeal to your flesh like this thought did to David and these planted thoughts what do they do they pull us into sin look what James writes in James chapter 1 let no man say when he is tempted I am tempted of God for God cannot be tempted with evil neither tempteth he any man but every man is tempted watch this when he is drawn away of his own what lust, and look at the word, and enticed. That's what, the, that's what Satan did to David in 1 Chronicles 21.1. He enticed him. Now watch, watch, it doesn't end there. In other words, 
he doesn't just put the bait on the hook. Watch, watch what James says. Then, when lust hath conceived. See, it, it, the bait just doesn't go on the hook. It starts to grow. It starts to take fruition. That thought process becomes an entire... Folks, look at me. You see all these shootings. And then it doesn't take long to figure out with what's on the internet, what's on the television, where they're getting these ideas from. They just arrested a young kid yesterday, and he said on the news he hadn't done anything. He was fascinated with mass shootings, and he said, I, I want to I I kill 100 people. I don't know if you saw that. Amazing. You think to yourself, where do these thoughts come from? Well, the Bible says that every one of those, when they're tempted, they're going to be drawn away of his own lust, enticed, and then when lust hath conceived, look at this, it bringeth forth sin, and when sin is finished, it bringeth forth what? Death. There's a process there, folks. You know, look, if, if, if I, when I was a kid growing up, I, I, was, I, I can say this with all pride this morning. I was and am a mama's boy. If you got a problem with that, I'll meet you outside and we'll discuss some of the things that my mom did. And I'll, I'll tell you how great my mom was and still is. My mom, oh, I'm going to tell you something. She could cook. My mom would make things and she knew what things were my favorites. And I mean, from, 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 from even vegetables. My mom had a way to make vegetables good. That's, that's, that's a miracle to make a vegetable good. And when I was a kid, my mom, she used to make, my mom made unbelievable desserts. She had something called gooey butter cake. It, it was good. And, and, on, and you, you couldn't see the gooey butter cake because it had this white cloud of, of powder sugar on top of it. I mean, it was so good. And, and, and then when I was a kid, I discovered something else because my mom, I came in one day and I smelled this heavenly smell coming out of the kitchen. And I, and I thought gooey butter cake was good. But I came in and I smelled this and I, I, I said, what is that, mom? And she, she began to describe how, and I could see the, the crust. My mom, she never bought crust from the store. She made crust flaky crust. Oh, it was so good. I could taste it now. She used a, a rich, creamy coconut custard. I'm telling you, you could, you could, you could lather your face up with that and your tongue would slap your brain out. It's so good. It was a coconut custard that she would put in there. I mean, it wasn't something out of a box. Jello wasn't even invented yet, you know? I mean, she, she would get that custard. Then on top of it, she would, she would mound whipped cream. She put that whipped cream all over the top of it, and then she would put toasted coconut on the top of it. How many of you can taste that right now? I mean... You know what I'm doing is I'm enticing you. I'm causing you to sin right now. Because I just happen to have. Uh, folks, does anybody know what this is called? Who said that? What's it called? Okay, after church, you can see me. You can have it. I said, man, I came to church today. I didn't know I was going to get a coconut cream pie. Man, I'm telling you. Now, the only thing that would make this pie better is if my mom made it. But I'm going to tell you something. Coconut cream pie. How many of you like coconut cream pie? Okay, you have to see this young man if he'll give you a slice. You, you know. but, yeah. <laughs> Too much distraction during the message. But folks, listen. If you notice... I didn't tell you how many calories were in that pie. I didn't tell you everything that went into that pie. 
I didn't tell you that that was one of the food groups that you needed whenever you want to eat healthy. As a matter of fact, you eat enough of those coconut cream pies, you're going to start looking like your pastor is what you're going to look like, you know? But folks, that's what the devil does. He never tells you the whole story. He just plants these thoughts. He doesn't give you everything. He doesn't want you to know what it's going to do, how it's going to cause problems, and that's the way temptation is. Satan suggests things to us in our minds that appeal to our flesh. But folks, listen, you can say this till you're blue in the face. The devil was the one that did that. The devil put that thought there. But folks, you give the devil way too much credit because we're the ones that entertain the thought. See, he might put the thought there. But what do we do with it? Right now, some of you are going, listen, I, give me that pie. I'd love to dive in it right there. But see, we entertain the thoughts. Those things that appeal to us. We choose to sin. Every rebellious act that any one of us commit can be traced back to one thing. Traced back to our thinking. Now, it might be the devil. It might be the flesh. But that thought is placed there. It's planted there. And it provokes us. But we're the ones that entertain it. And the wrong thoughts drive us to make choices that we would have never considered without having that thought being planted there. In David's life, the thought was planted by Satan. And that if David, look, if David would have rejected it, he would have been fine. But what did David do? He allowed it to linger. Just like right now, I, I got that stuff on my tie. And I went like that to get it off my tie because I don't like spots on my tie, but this is going to be a spot. And now that cream is in my mouth, and I'm going to be thinking about that the entire time I'm preaching this message. It's lingering. And that's what happens is these thoughts. David had the same thing happen in his life, and that thought in David's life, eventually, here's what happened. That thought led him to rebel against what David knew was right. Let me say that again. The thoughts that Satan planted, eventually because he allowed it to linger, it caused him to eventually do what he knew was right, but he went ahead and did it anyway. It brings us, secondly, to a precise count, because it started with a planted thought. Now, look at verse number two in our passage. David said to Joab and to the rulers of the people, Go number Israel from Beersheba even to Dan and bring the number of them to me that I may know it. So David here, if you notice the passage, here's what he does. He gives a direct order. Now this is King David. He gives a direct order to his men to take a census to find out how many people there are. Now his general, his senior general at the time, his Bible identifies him by the name Joab. Now, Joab wasn't always the most faithful to David, but notice here in this passage that Joab raises his concern to the king. Why? Because Joab knew this was not the right thing to do. So again, he's not the king. He can just voice. So Joab wasn't so easily provoked or persuaded to go against uh, David's orders, which was really God's orders. Notice in verse number three, look what it says. Joab answered, the Lord make his people and hundred times so many more as they be, but my lord, the king, David, are they not all my lord's servants? Why, why then doth my lord require this thing? Why will he be a cause of trespass to Israel? In other words, to sin against God and to cause us to do this. So Job recognized the dangers of what David had commanded him to do. And when Job began to question David, what, Dave, what Joab was really doing when he questioned his decision, he was acting in this capacity as a friend. Because the Bible tells us that a good friend will speak the truth to us even when it's not easy to do. Do you have a friend like that? That will tell you the truth whether you want to hear it or not? And look at the Bible says in Proverbs 27, 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend. So here God places Joab there, and Joab tries to help David in this situation. And many of us are as guilty as David were, because when David heard the truth from Joab, what did he do? He resisted it. 
He did not listen. And God uses his word in our lives to, to identify sin in our hearts. And that's what he was trying to do with David. But just like David, here's what we do. When God uses his word to show us what's wrong, we choose to ignore it. You know, here's what happens. We turn a deaf ear. It goes in this ear and it comes out this one. We ignore when God tries to use his word. Sometimes God will use a friend. God will maybe use a spiritual leader in our lives to expose the sin in our lives. But in our rebellion, what do we do? We ignore it. We hold on to what is our way because we feel like we're right. Remember what the Bible says? Every man did that which was right in his own sight. Look what it says in Proverbs 1.30. They would none of my counsel. They despised all of my reproof. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. David knew what he was about to do, and he knew this. He knew that it was a sin. It was something against God, and he stubbornly refused to listen even to a friend who was bold enough to warn him. And look what it says in verse number four of our passage. Nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab. Wherefore, Joab departed and went throughout all Israel and came to Jerusalem. So notice, because I'm the king, I'm going to do what I want. The thought was planted. Notice the precise count. David wants to know how many people were there. And so the king's word prevailed. How many times have we given in to self-will? Can I tell you this morning, self-will is nothing other than rebellion. Any act of rebellion will have a root below the surface, and David's root was this, pride. He was in his pride. He wanted to know he had a desire to glory in what he had accomplished. As somebody said many years ago, at the heart of the problem is a problem of the heart. David had an issue, and it's during moments of temptation, listen, that the, the temptations expose hidden sin in our lives, and it's at those moments, just like David, that you and I should forsake our sin rather than follow that sin into an action as James described, but unfortunately, David rebelled, and you know what happens when we rebel against God, when we sin? There's always consequences, always. So notice, secondly, we see the, the repentance of David. Because of the rebellion, there had a need of repentance in his life. Now listen, this is the heart of the message this morning. And I want you to think about this because think of your own life today. Because this is trying to help us to live out the Christian life. Remember, we're all sinners. That even though we're saved, we're prone to sin. And repentance needs to be a part of our lives. When we see the repentance of David, it had to be a difficult thing for David, the king, to see the consequences of his sin being played out. And by the way, he did see it. It was something that became clear. Look at verse number 7. The Bible says in 1 Chronicles uh, chapter 20, 21, verse 7, God was displeased with this thing, therefore he smote Israel. Folks, I, I never want to be under the judgment hand of God. I didn't like being under the judgment hand of my father. Can't imagine what it would be like being under the judgment hand of God. But the Bible says that God was displeased. And here's what happens is that every one of us, you and I, God has given us the freedom to make choices. You can choose. You made a conscious choice this morning to come to church. I know this young man's glad that he made a choice to come because he's going home with a pie. <laughs> but you make choices every day. God's given you the freedom to make those choices. But once we choose to rebel, we lose control over the consequences. In other words, look, you might choose to rebel, but you can't do nothing about what happens after you've chosen to rebel. David couldn't either, even as the king. It's a helpless feeling. Listen to me, to see others suffering because of our sins. It's helpless. You can't do anything about it. It's already happened. And that's what David was seeing. And thankfully, in David's life, and that's what we're going to see here, the story doesn't end here. David began to see the, the awful consequences of his sin and what was happening in the lives of others. And thankfully, David 
it, look, the story doesn't end there, that David finally responded the way that he should have initially, and that is David finally repented of his sin. You see, so much would have been accomplished, so many lives would have been different if David would have just not let sin build up in his life. That once we sin to get right with God. So what does repentance look like? Well, let's look at David's responses. This will give us a good idea of what the Bible describes as what repentance looks like. Notice letter A. When we see the repentance of David, we see, first of all, acknowledged his sin. Look at verse number 8. Because he sees God smoting Israel. So David says unto God, I have sinned greatly because I have done this thing. But now I beseech thee, do away, notice here, do away, uh, do, do away the, the iniquity of thy servant. But he says, for I have done very foolishly. David says, look, it's me. It's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. I'm the one that sinned. I'm not pointing the finger at other people. David humbly prays, and his prayer reflects his remorse. David begins to repent of his sin. He realized that he had gone directly against God, and he goes directly to God when it comes to this matter of forgiveness. Look what it says in 2 Samuel 24, 10. David's heart smote him after that he had numbered the people. David said unto the Lord, I have sinned greatly that, in, that I have done. He says, and now I beseech thee, O Lord, take away the iniquity of thy servant, for I have done very foolishly. David here is repenting. He's acknowledging his sin. Repentance will always begin with the acknowledgement of sin. I talk to people all the time that are in some this sin or that sin or whatever, and you look, it's, it's a tall chore. You just get them to acknowledge what their sin is. They want, to, they want to talk about this, that, and everything else, but they do not want to admit, I have a sin problem. And so what we see here is that David did not try to excuse away his sin. The Bible says that he smote himself. That word's an interesting word. Now, the Bible mentions that God smote Israel, but David smote himself. When the Bible says that, it's as if David had felt that he punched himself in the heart. David was feeling the effects he was broken. He had a burden over his own sin. You know, I think about how years ago I heard about this shoplifter, and, and you know, he just had this, this habit, this problem, this sin, that he would go into stores and he would steal stuff. And he, he had done this so many times, and finally one day God used his word and got through to this shoplifter, and he gloriously got saved. And the shoplifter got saved, and his conscience began to bother him over some of the stuff that he stole. And God put this one store on his heart, this one department store. And so he took out a note and he wrote the manager of the department store. And he said in the note these words, he says, I've enclosed $100 that I stole from your store. And he signed his name at the bottom and below his name, he put those two letters, P.S. And after that P.S., here's what he put. If I continue to feel guilty, I'll send you the other $100. <laughs> now, you think about that. I mean, folks, a lot of times we get into sin and we think, well, listen, I can just do a little something to get out of it. Simply wanting relief from the feelings, folks, and that's what we do, of having done wrong is not full repentance. To fully repent, to really repent, is to fully acknowledge your sin. Send the whole $200. Get right with God. Get thoroughly right with God. David, here what happens, he saw how serious his sin was against God himself. And can I tell you this morning that ultimately all sin is against God. Remember what Joseph said when he was entrusted with everything in Egypt? And, and she just kept coming after him day after day after day. And she wanted him to lie with her. And Joseph said, how can I do this thing and sin against God? All sin is ultimately against God. And the real repentance in David's life was he was fully acknowledging his sin. And David saw the seriousness of it. And he wanted to be clean. 
He wanted God to cleanse him, not just from the consequences that in his life. He says, look, don't just remove that, God. Don't just take away the consequences of sin, but cleanse my life. How many of you understand this morning, God only uses clean vessels. And the Bible says, as David wrote these words in Psalm 51, verse 4, against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. See, here's what I see in David's life. You know, people say this, that repentance, this is what it is. It's siding with God against self. That's what repentance really is. It's agreeing with God about your sin. Siding with God against your own self, against your own flesh. It's acknowledging that God is right and we're wrong. It's taking full responsibility in your life without blaming others or excusing it. The word confess, again, means to confess with uh, agreeing with God that our sin is sin. And I'm so glad that when we do confess, when we do agree with God about our sins, that God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from how much unrighteousness? All. So look. When it comes to sin in our lives, just like David's, what's the first step? You've got to acknowledge. If you want to repent, fully repent with God, you must acknowledge your sin. But then notice, after David acknowledged his sin, secondly, he accepted his consequences. I want you to look at this. Look at verse number 11. Go back to our passage. The Bible says in verse number 11, So Gad came to David. And he said unto him, Thus saith the Lord. How many of you know right there that David's about to hear something that is going to be helpful, but it's it's going to be a hard thing? God's, God's saying to David through Gad, Listen, here's the story. Because of what you've done, this is where it's come to. Now look what he says through Gad. Choose thee either three years of famine or three months to be destroyed before thy foes, while that the sword of thine enemies overtake thee, or else three days the sword of the Lord, even the pestilence in the land, and the angel of the Lord, destroying throughout all the coast of Israel. Now therefore advise thyself what word I shall bring again to him that sent me. In other words, that's take back to God. And David said unto Gad, I am in a great strait. Now folks, look here. That's where sin will put you. David would have never been here had it not been for the sin of pride. But sin puts us in positions that we don't really want to be in. And listen, remember I told you, you lose control over what's going to happen after you sin. So here's David. David says, I'm in, a, I'm in a great strait. Let me fall now into the hand of the Lord, for very great are his mercies, but let me not fall into the hand of man. So the Lord sent pestilence upon Israel, and there fell of Israel, how many? 70,000. Now think about this. Because of one man, because of his sin, the reality, and here it is, and I want you to get this this morning, that even though David had acknowledged his sin, against thee and thee only have I sinned. Even though David came clean with God, understand that God did not withhold the consequences that came after that. That's why the Bible says the wages of sin is. See, there's always a price tag. You can't walk into a store, just pick up something and walk out. You have to pay for it. When you sin against God, there's a payment. There's a price tag. And so even David here is being chastened by the Lord. And and even in his mercy, and that's what David throws himself upon, was the mercy of God. God knows that we need chastisement in our lives to fully turn our hearts from sin. So here's what God does. Remember the old game show, do you want what's behind door number one? Do you want what's behind door number two? Or do you want what's behind door number three? 
Because that's literally what God said to him. God gives him the choice. These, these three choices of judgment. Hey, folks, listen to me. There was no prizes behind those doors. They were all zonks. There was nothing good waiting on the other side. But God says, David, you choose because you chose to sin. And I'm going to give you a choice between these three. And so here's the choices. Three years of famine. You can have three months of being defeated by your enemies. Or three days of pestilence. And David begins to think to himself. He begins to reason. And although they were all tough choices, he chooses the pestilence. His reasoning would be, I'd rather fall on the mercy of God than fall in the hands of, of, of my enemies. And so David makes this choice. Even in his choice, he, we see a humble acceptance of the consequences. And now David is going to depend upon the mercy of God to take care of him. Chastening is never easy. It's never pleasant. As a kid growing up, I never enjoyed spankings or whoopings or whatever you wanted to call them. Some of you, I can tell, don't know what I'm talking about. Maybe that's the problem, you know? But see, when we yield to chastisement in our lives, guess what happens? It brings about a sweet intimacy in our relationship with the Lord. See, though we don't like it, don't we, we don't like chastening. It's a part of God's love. Did you hear what I said? Chastening is a part of God's love for us. Look what the Bible says in Hebrews 12. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he does what? He chasteneth. And he scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Now no chastening for the present seems to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Does anybody remember getting exercised as a kid besides me? That's what it means to get exercised. But you know what happened? I learned that my dad loved me. My dad loved me so much that he was going to correct me. That he was going to show me that sin was not something that he was pleased with. And the Bible says, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. God doesn't chasten us just for fun. I tried that one time with my kids. I said, you know what? It's been a long time since we've had a good old spanking party. I said, Dad just wants to get the paddle out and blow the dust off, and let's just see if it still works. Not one of my kids said, okay, Dad, let's go for it. They all said to me, no, we're good. And I said, exactly, that's why we need to get it out. Because the Bible says there's none good. And we need to get that paddle out, you know? But God doesn't chasten us just for fun. He corrects us because he loves us. As our Heavenly Father, he's not going to allow us to go on in our sins. Listen, he instructs us that he wants us to repent wholeheartedly. Look at the Bible says in Revelation 3.19, As many as I, what's that word? Love, I rebuke and chasten. Now look at these words. Be zealous, therefore, and do what? Repent. And the word zealous deals with, I want you wholeheartedly to repent of your sin. See, David acknowledged his sin. That's the first step. But listen, because we've sinned, we can't control the consequences. So notice what he does. He accepts the consequences. But then notice, thirdly, he arbitrated for his people. Now, I want you to see this in verse 16. Look what the Bible says. As we look in our passage, the Bible says here, And David lifted up his, uh, his eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord stand between the earth and the heaven, having drawn a sword in his hand, stretched out over Jerusalem. Then David and the elders of Israel, who were clothed in sackcloth, fell upon their faces. Now, remember what he chose? He chose, chose the pestilence, right? And remember, God was bringing his judgment. God was smiting. That's what he saw. Now, look at verse, the next verse, verse 17. 
And David said unto God, this is, this is with him, sackcloth falling on his face. In humbleness, he says, is it not I that commanded the people to be numbered? Even I it is that have sinned and done this evil. Indeed, but as for these sheep, what have they done? Let thine hand, I pray thee, O Lord my God, be on me and on my father's house, but not on the people that they should be plagued. So what is he doing? He's interceding. He's saying, God, listen, don't punish them because of me. This is something that I've done. And the Lord uses this consciousness here where David was wounded in his heart because he saw those being hurt because of his sin. He was devastated over the pain and the agony and what they were suffering because of his sin. Folks, can I tell you that David did not blame shift. He did not point the fingers. He took full responsibility and he asked God to spare them from any more hurt because of his choice. His intercession for these people, for his people, for God's people. You know what it is? It's yet another indicator of a true heart of repentance. And we see the rebellion of David. And we see the repentance here as he begins to repent of his sin. But then notice the remembrance of David this morning. Because David now being conscious of his sin. Here's what happens. And folks, I don't know where you're at in your life today. You might be sitting here going, look, what sin are you talking about, Pastor? I don't know. I just know this, that all of us are sinners even if we're saved. And when we have sin in our lives and we don't get right with God... Listen, we're never going to come back to God. We're never going to be close to God. But because David acknowledged it, because David, he accepted the consequences and he was arbitrating for the people. Notice David begins his road to restoration with God. The Lord uses the prophet, the man of God by the name of Gad. And he uses God's word to make these things known unto David. And I want you to see in verse number 18, how the Bible says here that David went up uh, at the saying of Gad, which he spake in the name of the Lord, and Ornan turned back, and he saw the angel and his four sons with him uh, uh, hid themselves. Now Ornan was threshing wheat, and David came to Ornan, and Ornan uh, looked and saw David and went out uh, at the threshing floor and bowed himself to David with his face to the ground. And then David said to Ornan, grant me the place of this threshing floor that I may build an altar therein unto the Lord that thou grant it to me for the full price that the plague may be stayed from the, for the people. And Ornan said unto David, take it to thee and let uh, my word, uh, the, thy, the king, do that which is good in his eyes. And so here's what we see is that, that God begins to work in David's life and David here hears the word of God, and David begins to be restored back to God. Folks, the only way that any of us could ever be restored back to God is through God's word as we respond to the truth, and God was giving him the truth. The Bible tells us that it's, it's the blood of Jesus that we need to respond to the truth. The blood of his son cleanseth us from all sin. And so David realizes, I need to sacrifice to the Lord. Folks, you need to see this this morning that when we sin, that there, there comes with it this matter of sacrificing back to God. David knew what he needed to do, and so notice his sacrifice was pricey. That David in the Old Testament had learned that when there was sin, that when there was something not right, that there needed to be a, a sacrifice. Many times an animal was taken and it was sacrificed because of that sin, because of a repentant sinner. And that sacrifice was a symbol of what David would do, what God would do in the future by sending his son Jesus, who was the spotless Lamb of God that paid the price ultimately for our sins. And so what does David do? He goes to Ornan, he goes to this place that Gad had told him to go. And what does he do when he gets here? He, he begins to prepare to make a costly sacrifice. Now folks, listen, his sin, although he thought it was small, to God, it was great. And he goes to this place. And can I tell you this morning that when our attitude is to give as little as we can to God, we are really not honoring the Lord. But what David was willing to do, as the Bible says he was willing to pay 
full price. He was willing to make a sacrifice that was costly to God. But not only that, not only his sacrifice was pricey, but it was personal. David could have easily, because he was a king, he could have used tax dollars. He could have used the money of the people. David could have pulled a few strings because of his position as a king. But the Bible says he gave personally. And when Ornan saw David coming, the Bible, as we just read there, Ornan says, look, you're the king. It would delight me to just give it to you, David. Look, if you want my land, you can have it. And David says, listen, I'm not going to offer to something to God that costs me nothing. This is something that I personally need to do because my sin was personally against God. And so what does David do? He purchases the land for a sacrifice. When I think about this, David's attitude, how David was willing to put God first now, but it came through his sin. David says, look, I don't want to give God any leftovers. I want to give God what is rightfully his. I see that same spirit in the churches. The Bible describes it in the churches in Macedonia in 2 Corinthians. Notice in your note, chapter 8, how that the, these churches in Macedonia, they gave freely. They gave generously to the Lord, just like David was doing here in 1 Chronicles 21. The Bible says how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality or their giving. For, by their, for to their power I bear record, yea, beyond their power. They were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we should receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but they first gave their own selves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. Look, can you understand? David has done a full 360 degree turn. David's life was heading in one direction because of his sin. And David thought, look, I've arrived. I'm the king. I'm in the latter part of my life. And he thought, hey, listen, this is not a big deal. I'm just going to number the people, find out what I've got. But he sinned against God. He knew what, was, what he was doing was wrong, but he went and did it anyway. And as a result of that, God smote Israel because of his sin. And David says, listen, God, I have sinned against you. I have done a great uh, uh, sin against you. And as a result of that, David realizes I need to make things right. He repents of his sin and he wants to make a sacrifice to God to make sure that everything between him and God is right. David's repentant heart got God's attention. Folks, this morning, if there's something in your life today or maybe in the future, whatever it is, God calls it sin. And what we need to do is get right with God, understand that that sin is against God. And when we repent of our sin, it will get God's attention. Repentance in the Christian life should be the sincere response of the heart every time the Holy Spirit begins to convict us. And I want you to notice, look what it says in verse 26, and this is a sweet verse. As we look into the Word of God here, the Bible says, David built there an altar unto the Lord, and he offered burnt offerings and peace offerings, and he called upon the Lord. And look at these words, and he, and that's a pronoun referring to the Lord, he answered him from heaven by fire upon the altar of burnt offering. You know what that tells me? God accepted. God says, listen, everything's good again between us. That's a picture there of the power of God coming down from heaven. Folks, we need God's power in our lives. God's power will not be in our lives if there's sin. I was, I don't claim to be a smart person. And there's a lot of times in my life I do things that, honestly, I even amaze myself sometimes. Not in a good way. And I uh, recently, I, I like to do things around the house and I mow my yard and I like to keep the yard nice. And I've had a lawnmower for probably about close to 10 years, 8 years. And uh, I've known for a long time that my lawnmower, when I would go to mow my yard, that it, it really was just kind of beating my grass. It wasn't cutting it. 
the blade on my mower was in bad shape. I mean, you couldn't cut butter with that blade. And so I decided that I was going to get a new blade. And so I took the lawnmower in my garage and I, I tilted it up and I, I had watched a few things about it. I wanted to make sure I was doing it right. And uh, th this one guy says, don't tip it on this side because, you know, you'll cause stuff will run into your carburetor and all that. And I, I thought, okay. So I just lifted it up and I put a block on the handle and I just had it lifted, tilted a little bit. And I took the blade off. I was so proud of myself. But before I did that, the one instruction from one of the guys was, before you do anything, take the spark plug wire off before you start working on it. And so I, I, I tried to follow instructions and I did that. Took the blade off and I, I looked at a couple stores and I wanted to buy a new blade and I didn't realize they have so many different kinds of blades for lawnmowers. They have mulching blades and blades for this, blades for that. And I thought, I don't even know which one to get. I just know that mine has two holes in the handle uh, or the, a part of the blade and I need one that's going to fit back up on my mower. I don't want to get the wrong blade. So I looked at a couple stores. I couldn't find the, the one that, and I, and I was like, okay, I don't know what I'm going to do. I was talking to Brother Kenny and Brother Chris, and Brother Kenny says, well, Pastor, why don't you just sharpen the blade? I said, well, I wish I knew a place I could take it. I'd just take it somewhere, and he says, well, what about this? And I said, yeah, and he looks at me, and he goes, well, why don't you sharpen it yourself? And I thought, yeah, why don't I sharpen it myself? I thought, I, I got the tools. So I took the blade. This is now a week later. I took the blade. I put it in a vise in my garage. I took out my stuff, and I, I began to grind on that on that blade and I put a nice nice I mean you could have shaved with that thing matter of fact that's what I did people said pastor where, where'd your beard go my granddaughter said to me this morning she says poppy where's your mustache and uh and so so anyway I got it sharp I was so I was so proud of myself I put it back on and I took the block off the handle and I I I went over to the back of it and knew it had gas in I pulled the handle pulled it pulled it I pulled it three or four times and it wouldn't start. And I thought, what in the world? I thought, here I am trying to do something, you know, sharpen the blade so I can mow the grass better. I couldn't believe it. So the next two days, just I'd wake up in the morning. I'm like, I'm going to go try the mower. I'd go outside. I'd, I'd, I'd prime it, pull on the rope a couple times, nothing. I told my wife, I can't believe it. I finally get the blade sharp. Now the mower won't start. I borrowed Brother Greg's mower. I mowed my yard one because I had to keep it mowed, had to keep it nice. And I thought, I can't believe this. And so my wife and I, we went away for a couple days, spent some time with the Lord. I'm studying. Just like God sent Gad to David. I'm sitting there studying the Word of God, and God says, hey, why don't you put the spark plug back on the... And I sat there and I looked over at my wife and I said, oh, and she's like, what, what happened? I said, an epiphany, a light just went on. And she's like, what? And I said, I don't know why, but it's like the Lord just said, you forgot to put the wire back on your spark plug on your lawnmower. My wife, she, she's such a cheerleader, such an encouragement to me. She starts laughing at me. I couldn't wait to get, it was like two days before we came back and I just kept thinking, I can't wait to get back to put that wire on that spark so I can pull that rope to see if it starts. And you know what happened? It started. But because that wasn't connected to the power, it wouldn't start. I could pull on that handle and pull on that handle and pull on that handle and you can live the Christian life and you can just keep sinning and sinning and sinning. But if you're not plugged into that spark plug, you're not firing on all, you don't have God's power. You're never going to see God do in your life what David saw God do in his life. Can I tell you, don't be as foolish as I was with that spark plug. And the reality was, I thought that I was doing right. 
But God says, hey, remember that spark plug wire? And right now in your mind and in your heart, God by his Holy Spirit saying, hey, let's talk about this. Let's talk about this in your life. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. I'm looking at and talking to some of the greatest people I know. But I know this, including this pastor, we're all sinners. And if we want God's power, we've got to acknowledge our sin. And we've got to get right with God. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed. I know I've said a lot this morning. And I want to thank you for listening so patiently. Those of you that are visiting today, I have no idea who's sitting here unless you're a member of our church. But I know this, God loves every one of us. The Bible says God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And that includes you. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your savior, you see, David was a child of God. But if there's never been a time in your life that you've accepted him as your personal savior, God is inviting you. His Holy Spirit right now is convicting you. And you have that same choice that David had as a saved man. And your choice is you can either accept what God is offering or you can reject it. If you're here this morning and you don't know that heaven would be your home, today is the day of salvation. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Do you need to be saved this morning? Have you ever made that decision? Or are you still living a life of sin that's not pleasing to God? I wonder this morning, no one's looking around, every head's bowed, every eye's closed this morning. Would you acknowledge this morning to God by an upraised hand, I don't know for sure that I'm saved, but God's been speaking to me this morning. Would you pray for me, Pastor? Would you slip your hand up this morning? I need to be saved. I'm not sure that heaven would be my home. Just put your hand up and you can put it right back down. Anybody at all this morning not sure that heaven would be your home? How many of you this morning could raise your hand and say, I've had a time in my life that I, am, that I did trust Christ as my Savior, and I know that heaven would be my home. Would you raise your hand this morning as a testimony? I see hands all over the auditorium this morning. You could put your hands down. The next question is this, and you don't have to raise your hand for this one. I wonder if you're like David or me. If you've had a time in your life since you've been saved, that you've done something that you knew was wrong, but you did it anyway. Maybe some sin in your life right now. And how many of you would raise your hand and say, God, by his Holy Spirit, has been speaking to me this morning about something in my life. Would you slip your hand up this morning with your hands raised this morning? God sees those hands. Let's stand this morning.